Hello, I'm Chris Hudson and welcome to FIS's and Commodity Podcast on Wednesday the 9th of February. You've made it through the first month of the year and through Chinese New Year. And on this side of the microphone, I've made it through having COVID, hence the week off last week. But have no fear, we are back and ready to delve into what's been happening in our main commodity markets. On this week's episode, we explore the worlds of steel and coking coal in more detail, tracking the reason behind oil's push towards the $100 mark, before questioning whether dry freight has found a flaw. We've got post-Chinese New Year iron ore markets to look at, and of course we would be remiss for not having an update on carbon emissions and fertilisers. Let's first take a look at some key headlines. This week, oil major BP was in hot water after announcing their highest profits in eight years, with calls for these profits to be taxed by the UK government in wake of rocketing household bills and damaged public finances. Attention had also focused on Shell, who last week reported earnings of $19.3 billion for 2021, with US competitors ExxonMobil and Chevron also boosting by the higher prices from oil. In steel markets, the US was, has suspended its 25% levy on steel imports of up to 1.25 million tonnes a year beginning on April 1st, according to the deal with Japan announced on Monday. However, a 10% tariff on aluminium will remain in place. It also seems that things are calming down on the Russia-Ukraine border. If you're a French diplomat, this has been the result of the heroic efforts of Monsieur le Président Macron. Nevertheless, it's hoped that continued diplomatic efforts will help calm this potential spark point. But what's been happening in our main market indexes week on week, Tuesday the 1st of Feb versus yesterday, Tuesday the 8th of Feb? Well, if you're looking at cape sizes, that's been off 7.3%, uh, down below 10,000 now, 9969. Panamaxes and Supermaxes have increased, though, nearly 10%, both of those ending 16.4 and 9, just above, just literally a smidgen over 19,000 for the Supermaxes there. On the 62% iron ore, that's been pushing up uh, 5.8%. 14175 was before Chinese New Year, 14995 closing yesterday. Brent crude, 90.44, had been a lot higher uh, midweek between Tuesday to Tuesday, but significantly moving towards that $100 level. And, of course, a resultant effect on the fuel oils, the Sing 0.5%, 664.03, if you're looking at the front future on FIS's report from yesterday. On the tankers, uh, we've seen negative move on the VLs, crew carriers, 33.82 closing yesterday. On the TC2 and TC5 clean routes, 141.94. Uh, and 97.29 up a bit. And on the EUAs, that's obviously the compulsory European carbon markets. Uh, a nice move up week on week. Tuesday the 1st was 89.52 euros. And yesterday, 96.93. We are almost there at the $100 mark. As one of the world's most important commodities, steel has had quite a last 12 months. So let's talk to Rob Belcher, our steel broker here, about what's been going on in the steel and scrap markets. Thank you, Chris. So I think we should start off with Turkish scrap. I mean, it looks like the market should remain firm as mills look to buy March shipment scrap. Um, I believe they drew down their lead times too much and were hoping for sort of maintenance, stoppages and energy supply crisis talks would bring the price of scrap down. Unfortunately for them, it didn't drop with wind conditions affecting collection and competing scrap demand from other markets. So unfortunately, they're going to have to pay up. Uh, Sellers are still remaining bullish and holding back their offers in anticipation of further increases. So really, the market should be firm in in the near term. 
And then moving on to an important thing for recovery, and we're talking about people building all the construction industry post-COVID. And one of those big indicators there is a fairly large market in terms of outside of China, the European Union HRC market. What have we seen there? Yeah, that's right, Chris. I mean, the the North European hot-rolled coil market continues to move at its own speed somewhat, shrugging off the bullishness, gripping the bulk uh, export markets. Um, the the Argus North uh, West European HRC index was at 932 spot 5 euros on the 7th of Feb, and that was up from 909 spot 75 euros at the start of the month. Um, I mean, despite the high energy cost, rising imports and growing liquidity in a more dynamic and spot orientated Italian market, trade remains subdued. Um, some of the smaller spot uh, focused mills uh, that had intended to hike prices have either postponed the application uh, of increases or are offering at higher levels without success. I mean, buyers still still have high stock levels and end demand remains quiet, uh, with the automotive still not buying as much as expected. Even production issues with a large Swedish steelmaker taking a blast furnace offline for unplanned repairs have failed to stimulate proper momentum. In Italy, bullishness appears to be growing. Uh, mills have been able to sell as high as 880 euros per tonne delivered for small tonnages. Um, the, 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 the jump in Turkish and Asia prices uh, has filtered quickly into the Italian market. Over the last month, the, the Argus FOB Turkey HRC assessment has jumped from $800 a tonne to $890 a tonne, which is quite a big increase, uh, meaning the import offers into Europe are scarce and more expensive. Um, you know, saying that typically Italy is the first mover in Europe um, as the country's largest buyers flex between imports and domestic supply um, and have deep uh, international exposure. Um, if this is the case, the Northwest European price could find support. But I mean, liquidity needs to increase to sort of consolidate the recent rises and give producers a firmer footing for their discussions. And then in terms of the US market, which also has its own HRC contract, what have we been seeing in that market? Well, we're looking at a bit of a sheet show at the moment, to be honest, Chris. I mean, domestic mills are still struggling with order activity. Uh, based on conversations with service centres, likely to lower the contract commitments from 22 versus 2021. You know, although SDI and new core earnings reports suggested the opposite. So, you know, prices looking to creep lower, but to what level? And even if you do lower them, we, will that generate the buying activity? So the buyers still very much on the sidelines after mills shipped late current and future orders all to them in December. So basically we're looking, in essence... You know, there's too much steel around. Uh, mills appear to be aggressive on cutting prices at the moment. Um, and there's some chatter um, of increased inquiry activity too. So it's too early to tell if the fishing expeditions will generate real ton for mills or just buyers doing some price discovery before going back into the shadows. After that awesome review of the steel and scrap markets, we move to an important related commodity, coking coal one which has had its own roller coaster of late. So we've got Dave Powell in to talk about what's been happening in that market. Hi, Chris. Um, yeah, it's it's sort of, again, uh, it's, it's sort of followed other markets up, but uh, it's sort of a bit late to the show last year. And we've um, sort of broken new highs in Q1 this year. Uh, we sort of had a bit of resistance at the $400 level. That's sort of double sort of usual highs. Uh, but we broke that at the start of the year after the back of, on the back of... Um, you know, uh, some pretty wet weather in Queensland in, in sort of November and December. Uh, there was still a lag in terms of catching up 
from some of the steel producers and uh, there was obviously some covid related uh, difficulties at, at mines and we had another well sort of a second sort of perfect storm and we reached highs of um, about 440 this quarter so far and what's happened is obviously the futures jumped on the back of that uh, and, and ran up strong as we've sort of hit the 400 level on futures um, we'd sort of we've sort of taken a bit of a respite and uh, the market started to feel a bit sort of toppy um, but what has also happened is uh, the curve has, has followed the market up and even though we've got a sort of you know a hundred dollar discount between the sort of front month and and q3 um, and then we sort of discount a bit after that the curve is very strong as well and this is primarily due to you know the strong steel futures creating good margins so it actually still looks a good time to sort of for the steel producers to hedge that curve given that where the market went this year you know uh, with the, they're going to be looking at iron ore prices as well and um, they're going to be looking at sort of uh, steel futures which which have held up reasonably well so we're at a sort of uh, a tipping point really because the market expects prices to come off but we're not seeing a huge amount of supply come on to uh, come into the market at the moment and we're already in sort of getting in towards sort of mid-feb um as as we go into the, uh, the next few weeks uh, if 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 prices don't come off then then we feel that uh, the market could start to move back up again in q2 i mean we're currently at about 350 in q2 350 in q2 it's it's, uh, it's been very volatile and there's potentially you know given the spot is still around 430 there's potentially sort of you know a swing of about 50 to 75 dollars either up or down so uh, quite a exciting times so oil has had its nice move up over the past few weeks uh, hitting through the $90 value uh, hitting highs we've not seen since August 2014 so I've got Ricky Foreman here from our fuel oil desk to kind of talk a little bit more about what's been happening behind the scenes why are we seeing oil so high why is it almost at that three figure value the ultimate $100 value which everyone talks about and loves talking about so Ricky what's been going on behind the scenes which has pushed up this oil to almost that $100 mark yeah thank you for the introduction Chris um, I think basically there's a few things that are going on here um, obviously we had a very early Chinese New Year so uh, levels of liquidity and volumes in the market have been very limited so any kind of um, large clip sizes of trades have tended to push the market um, a little bit more than you would necessarily see. Um, we've obviously had a, a decline in the concerns over the, over the uh, Omicron um, COVID situation. That in turn has led to an increase in demand uh, pretty much across the globe. Um, and I think just a lot of general um, enthusiasm and, and um, you know, positive sen sentiment heading into the new year um, we've seen this uh, across Europe and um, out in Asia as well um, it's almost like a human psychology thing where you start the new year everyone's feeling quite bullish and uh, in positive sentiment and we normally see um, a bit of a spike up um, in the market there have been other things as well that have um, you know aided the positive sentiment um, and that has been reflected in the in the tightness in the Sing Point Five markets. Um, towards the end of Jan, that front um, Feb March spread was trading at around the twelve dollar levels. Um, you know, basically um, exaggerating the tightness um, and the backwardation in the curve. And 
in about a week's um, a week's time from that, a week later, that spread has pushed up to around twenty one and a half dollars. Um, so that backwardation is getting steeper. There's real concern of the um, tightness of supply um, in the front end, and this again is also aiding uh, the push in the prices. Um, other factors as well across the barrel are the fact that gas oil stocks in Europe and Singapore have been at their lowest level since around 2014. Um, as a result of that, um, the blending stocks to cut the sulphur um, are basically uh, reduced, which again means that there's a supply issue um, on the 0.5 side, the Sing 0.5 side and the Euro 0.5 which again is contributing to the, the push in the prices. And another issue which has obviously contributed to what's happening in gasoline, uh, a long-standing issue with problems with, with Russia as a large oil producer, and now all the issues which are happening on the Ukrainian border. But it does seem that diplomacy is coming to the fore and it may quieten down a bit. All those questions that we've discussed previously with relation to the carbon emissions contract and gas oil, gas prices being through the roof is a particular problem for the UK whose uh, kind of makeup of, of uh, production is about 40% from gas now, having kind of removed coal almost completely from its, uh, its power things. But that is another thing which must be weighing on traders' minds as well. Yeah, the, obviously, no one wants to go to go to war, right? Um, but that kind of sentiment has has fluctuated the um, the markets as well. There there has been genuine concern um, over that Russia Ukraine um, situation, um, and again, that kind of tension has um, you know led led to the push um, more more um, out of fear than than anything. Um, obviously, the other contributing factor is the cold snap that's uh, happened in the states at the moment. Um, it's taken a lot of the refineries offline um, around the Texas area. Uh, one plant in particular, uh, which is uh, the, the Marathon um, in Galveston Bay refinery, uh, they produce around 595 million barrels a day. Um, and obviously that's come offline recently due to the bad weather. So again, it's something that's impacting the supply side um, um, of, the, of the market aiding aiding the prices. The rising fuel oil costs are a factor worrying charterers and operators of ships as their already small and quite often negative margins are being squeezed even further. But with the Lunar New Year holidays behind us, there seems to be a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for the dry freight market. Is that true, Kerry Deal? What have we seen? Well, indeed, the capes fell, as you've already mentioned, um, at a slower pace than in recent weeks. Um, So we'll take the positives where we can get them. Last week, the capes remained relatively quiet in the absence of Asian players. Fixtures were initially heard with better rates under thin activity with uh, key iron ore routes, uh, C5 West Aussie to China for... Mid-Feb Lakans fixing $7.60 to $7.80. And Brazil to China, that's C3, for early Feb loading dates fixed around $21. Rates did slip as the week progressed and more people returned from the Lunar New Year holidays, uh, with West Aussie China, for example, slipping down to the low $7 range. Um, Port Hedland to Qingdao also reported at exactly $7.00. In the Atlantic, South African regions were comparably more active than Brazil in terms of iron ore shipment. South Africa last week shipped around 1.2 million tons, or 12% up on the previous week, with a 50% increase in China-bound cargo, according to the IHS market commodities at sea service. Out of Brazil, C3 was reported at the low $20. 
Furthermore, bunker prices continued their sharp rise, as you've just mentioned, seeing Sing 380 and VLSFO uh, climb above 510 and 708, respectively, compounding that pain for shippers, um, especially those shippers using the VLSFO. Uh, so again, those scrubbers really coming into their own in this market. According to market sources, some ship owners are now reluctant to ballast because the overall return would be dampened by those extra bunker costs. The paper traded in a relatively narrow range last week, with Q2 onwards holding firm above 24,500 until jumping to 27,250 value on the FIS Live platform this morning. The prompt month contracts dipped until yesterday when we also suddenly saw some buy-in, with March 5 TC trading at uh, 20,750 this morning on FIS Live. The majority of the curve is being held up, though, through Cape versus Panamax spread buyers, which is something to watch. While the market has expected the Chinese government relaxation of emissions targets for its steel industry post-Olympics should lend some good support for the Cape-sized freight rates in coming quarters, there is also some skepticism as to whether the Cape-sized physical can keep improving enough to keep FFAs at the current premium. So we may well have to look for ongoing Panamax strength in the short term to keep that curve up. The arrival of the new month brought some very good news uh, in terms of recovering coal shipments for the Panamaxes. India's coal export ban finally expired last Monday. As a result, Indonesian coal exports last week totaled 8.1 million tons, uh, which is back to basically a similar level to what we saw last year. For the grains, there were decent shipments out of Brazil, but lower volumes recorded in other regions, leading to only a 3% increase week on week. High congestion reappeared in East Coast South America, which should support rates in the near term. Towards the end of last week, better rates were discussed for the front haul trips, and more steam from South America did seem to lift sentiment quite a bit. Fixtures included East Coast South America redelivery Sing Japan up from 20,000 to 21,500. Um, in Asia, the market movements were slower, and while a number of fixtures surfaced for coal shipments out of Indonesia and Australia, details have yet to be confirmed for those. With a better outlook on the physical and CAPES also looking a bit more optimistic this week, Panamax futures saw buying interest across the curve and prices moved up in response. March saw steady gains from late last week, moving up very powerfully this week to trade at 25.875 value on FIS Live this morning while the Q2 has pushed up to 26.625 value. One side note I wanted to mention, continued drought conditions in both Brazil and Argentina do appear to be affecting loading capacity of Panamaxes and Supras. I've heard about this in relation to the Parana River in particular, uh, due to low water levels. Right now, we're not in the peak of grain season yet, but if this were to continue, watch that space. If it cuts substantially the amount of cargo, um, these grain carriers can load with each shipment. Um, watch this space for some upward pressure as grain shipments increase and we get into the, uh, the harvesting season. And Kerry, let's stay with you to discuss the iron ore market. We've had Chinese New Year has come and gone, which understandably left the market a little quieter than usual. But there's still some interesting <coughs> things happening. Yeah, the iron ore has been giving up a touch of ground this last couple of days after jumping in both the lead up to Chinese New Year and just after. It's worth noting that the push in futures, and on the physical, for that matter, in the lead-up to Lunar New Year, uh, was both seasonally typical and largely sentiment-driven. The market has expected major Chinese and North Asian steel mills to increase production after the Lunar New Year holidays and, um, and after slowing down due to recent snowy weather impacts. 
uh, new COVID outbreaks in West Australia did help to lift futures rates just after the holidays. But while they may impact some iron ore mining processes, nothing has been significant enough yet uh, to trigger official announcements. China's National Development and Reform Commission also published a statement just as the holiday period started that they would enhance market price controls and maintain iron ore and coal prices in a stable range. This inevitably triggered a sharp correction just as we went into the Lunar New Year. And just today, uh, that is Wednesday, the NDRC summoned iron ore market information providers to account for recent volatility in prices. So it looks like the government is sort of serious about enforcing you know, potentially more action on the futures markets in terms of uh, trying to control prices. China's 45 port iron ore inventories stood at 157.26 million tons. Uh, Last week, that was up 4.16 million tons compared to the last day before Chinese New Year. Port inventories are fast approaching that historical high of 162.82 million tons that we saw in late March 2018. Earlier supply shortages out of Brazil are expected to manifest throughout February on the Asian arrival side, Um, and the seaborne trade remains quiet as business restarted in the first couple of days after the holiday. Um, It's worth noting the lack of significant physical trades has left the market open on the spot market in iron ore to uh, some value-finding movement back and forth uh, on the physical. Um, All of this paints a rather neutral picture for now. The utilization rate in Tangshan should be lower than during the previous two years um, still because of the continued Winter Olympic Games. They last until the 20th of February. Tangshan billet was up 150 yuan during the first two years, sorry, first two days rather after the holiday, indicating the temporary shortage of semi-finished steels because of the extension of production curbs. But, you know, with healthy port inventories and uncertain mill performance post-Olympics, as well as the threat of further PRC government intervention in the futures markets, this could certainly go either way. Um, It's not a given that it just goes up. March 62% was down a bit, trading at 145.5 value on FIS Live this morning. I next asked Theo about what's been going on in the world's most exciting and dramatic commodity market, carbon emissions. (laughs) <laughs> it is quite an exciting market, isn't it? Carbon is the uh, talk of the town at the moment, um, and I think it will be for quite a while. Um, well, let's just kick off with the uh, compliance of the EUA. So uh, that's had a stellar performance the first uh, half of the start of this uh, this week. Uh, the EUA DEC 22 contract uh, yesterday sold at $93.93. Euros 93. So it's reaching for that high and getting very close to that to magical 100 euros a ton target. Um, the market did reach 98.49 yesterday and then settled lower. I think it is said start, I think it's off a little bit today, um, but let's just see. The uh, analysts are forecasting we will break the 100 level and uh, I checked out the open interest on the uh, 100 strike and now it's at a staggering 13.7 million tons from the iron ore um, open interest. So it'll be quite a battle there between the shorts and the longs and how they're going to either break through or push it back down again. Um, well, the EUA's uh, bullish news is, of course, uh, due to the supply, um, the reduced supply of the in the power sector, and that also means that there's going to be uh, emissions uh, factor corresponding to that. And that also supports the price. Uh, the EUA's are aiming to phase out, as we know and well aware of, the coal and nuclear uh, power plants, and that also adds fuel to the fire. But most recently, uh, there was news yesterday that EDF. Uh, their French nukes were, and they informed the market that, that uh, for, they're going to have a second straight cut in their uh, two, uh, 2022 
output, which is down 3% versus guidance for 2022. And that's actually 12% down from the original um, goal for 2022. So these, these outages suggest that they may be extending even further out from the first half of the year. And that news, of course, pushes up the TTF gas prices and then EUAs follows. So uh, the market is quite hot right now. And uh, the Ukraine, of course, uh, Russian situation is not helping either. Now, moving on to the volunteer carbon market, we'll go through the indexes again that Platts has introduced uh, and we'll get used to them eventually. There's the first of the Platts CC, which is the equivalent to, let's say, Corsia, and that's uh, so at $7.70 US dollars. Uh, the Platts CNC, which is the equivalent to a nature-based contract, sold at $15.15 US, which is down $0.05 cents and down $0.65 cents on the week. And the Household Devices Platts uh, Index uh, sold at $9.95, which is uh, no change and slightly up week on week. On the uh, CME, the, the GEO contract, uh, that's December 22, is uh, trading at $7.92, which is up 20 cents week on week. And the CME NGO, which is a nature-based contract, uh, is settling at um, $15.30, which is down 40 cents week on week. A, a bit of an update on regarding why that uh, NGO contract is down. The NGO contract has come up slightly, but I believe it's not due to fundamental reasons. The NGO is a physically settled contract uh, on CBL, which is the physical exchange linked to that CME contract. So they, they uh, last week announced they're adjusting their vintages rules, which was most like that reason for that uh, slight drop in that contract. So what happens is CBL uh, made changes to the vintages eligibility aim to better align the markets with demand and its clarity. So the NGA contract was limited to 2016 to 2020 vintage years, but as of July, will expand to 2022. So that means that the NGA contract will transition to a rolling vintage contract after 2023, where in this case, the eligible vintages will be limited to 2018 to 2023, so a six year period. So in that case, a trader would have up, in the case in currently, a trader up to July this year to physically settle any vintages of 2016 credits. And therefore, these credits have, cost, have come off and I've seen that on the OTC side as well, where vintage 16 um, uh, uh, credits are at a, at a discount. So let's say vintage 17, which is 18, which, are, when kept, which can be physically settled against the NGO contract. Um, other than that, I think the market is quite steady. Um, and we have seen a bit of, uh, last night was quite an interesting night on the uh, NGO contract, and uh, we saw a bit of action there. Uh, we saw the December 23 contract trade at $16.50, which is, uh, which is up a bit. And then at the same time, the 2022, the December 22 contract had traded at uh, $15.60. After that, we saw someone actually trading a spread trade, and that was December 22 versus December 23 at $1.50 and 140 KT. And finally, early morning, which was in California time, uh, a big clip of 500 KT traded December 23 at $17. So I think, again, that carry trade is on because I did the numbers again this week. And if you were buying the December 22 and selling the December 23 and using that spread of $1.50, that means that your annual compounded rate is 9.5% which is a pretty decent carry trade. Uh, let's see if uh, that continues because uh, that will that'll also ignite some interest out of the uh, 
financials and out of the funds. Uh, on a, on a uh, FIS OTC note, uh, we've actually had a lot of interest coming from both, interestingly, on, on the buy and on the sell side for a number of different products. And we actually have traded in the last week, I think, close to 500 KT of uh, OTC uh, projects, uh, nature-based and some in some other ones, such as uh, wind in China and some um, South Korean interest as well. So if anyone out there has any interest in uh, discussing multi-carbon credits or wants to know more, they can definitely contact FAS. And finally this week, we've got Andrew Manor, who gave us an update on global urea markets. Yeah, g'day, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Um, I thought I'd start things off the uh, this morning by saying uh, how I was right at the end of last year. You asked me for my outlook for 2022, and I, I hesitated to call which direction prices were going, but said things would be volatile, um, and that has definitely been the case this year. So we came into last year at you know, historic levels for urea, and you know when markets are seeing these five ten percent moves, we're definitely seeing what would translate into uh, much bigger swings in value. And far a bit from you to, to gloat about these things, but um, <laughs> let's go into what's been driving when you get them. <laughs> exactly. Well, what's been driving these price move, price movements yeah. so far this year? So, um, yeah, as I said, coming at the end of the year, we uh, we were at quite historic high prices, um, and basically, what sort of kicked things off initially, you know, the downward trend, I guess, was India, India unexpectedly capping volume. Um, in their tender at the end of the year. So that left the market long, longer than expected coming into January. And then basically markets around the, re the rest of the world sort of just entered a watch and see mode and prices just began to drift from there. And, and we saw sort of you know, some quite a lot of value wiped out of the market through through January as, as demand didn't really sort of materialize to the extent that was expected in Brazil and the US in particular. Um, and you know, Brazil market got sold down quite aggressively, which um, which surprised the market. And then, I guess, coming into the end of January, uh, the most recent sort of event in the market had been that India unexpectedly came back to the market um, to, in order to build stocks. So sentiment immediately swung the other way. And, and in between these these sort of key events, we've just seen you know, these values just bouncing around in, in quite significant moves. Um, as I said, quite quite volatile at the time. Um, you know, Fifty to hundred dollar moves in, in in a matter of days. So in terms of the near future, Andrew, what are people going to be looking at? What should they be focusing on for this market? Yeah, so I think as we look forward to key sort of macro stories to watch remain the ongoing energy crisis in Europe um, and you know at volatile energy prices globally. And the other one being how export controls play out in countries like China and Russia, which has sort of been um, hanging over the market uh, last year and, and continue to do so this year. That's it for this week in the freight and commodity markets. If you want to stay up to date with everything going on, then do sign up to our app, FIS Live, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Join us again next week for more analysis and insight and have a great end to the rest of your week.